I've confronted hundreds of men over two decades. I have been in television for 24 years. I just came to get something to eat. And I have very seldom been at a loss for words. I just came to get something to eat. Men online looking for children to sexually assault. What's the motive here? It's, Explain it to me. I don't no, know you're right. No, you're right. It's stupid. It's, it's not. It's an no. illegal thing. Yeah, I know. I did a stupid thing. Men from all walks of life. A doctor, a teacher, a clergyman. You sent pornographic pictures through the mail. Okay, that's a federal offense right there. You know I'm in trouble, and I know I'm in trouble. I tried to get into their heads and understand why. Who do we have tonight? Uh, I, I want to know who you are. I want to know a little bit more about you first. Can I eat first? Sure, go ahead. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar while you enjoy your pizza. And ultimately, make sure they face justice. You ask her if she's a virgin. I ask everybody all kinds of stuff. It's just talk. You ask her if she's horny. What's wrong with that? You ask if she does anal. It's a question. question. Who are they? Have they tried to prey on other children? And where are they now? These are the predators I've caught. I'm Chris Hansen. It's a question I get over and over, probably thousands of times over the last 17 years since we first started doing the predator investigations. Is there one predator who sticks out as the most dangerous, as the creepiest, as the most disturbing? And I think there's a very strong argument, at least when it comes to being creepy, even unctuous, smarmy, just disturbing on every level that Jeff Sokol wins the prize for the worst predator I've caught. The story behind how we did an investigation in Fairfield, Connecticut is an interesting one. A number of years before we did the sting, I happened to be giving a speech in Mystic, Connecticut to a conference put on by the then Attorney General in Connecticut, Richard Blumenthal. The conference was about elderly people being scammed online and how to protect the elderly from these sort of scams that had become so prolific and continue to this very day. And I gave my speech at a beautiful conference center in Mystic, had lunch, and as I was leaving, I was approached by the police chief and a lieutenant from the Fairfield Police Department. The chief was Gary McNamara, a lovely guy who essentially gave me a story about a confidence scam. And he knew that I had been in the past investigating these quote unquote Nigerian scams and that we had gone overseas and nailed some of these scammers and held their feet to the fire and penetrated this myriad and Byzantine system of scamming online. Very hard to catch these guys. And we did it. Took a lot of time, almost a year in the making. And McNamara and his lieutenant, Jimmy Perez, approached me and said, look, we've got a case like this in Fairfield and it involves a woman who got scammed for about $200,000. Can you see if you can help us out? And basically, they gave me a story that was gift-wrapped. They had the woman, the victim. 
She did a wonderful interview, compelling interview with me. It was a sad story. And then we got on to the case, and with their help, we tracked it down to the scammer who wasn't in Nigeria. He had connections to Nigeria, but he was actually in Greenville, South Carolina. We found him, we confronted him, and he was ultimately investigated by the Secret Service for this scam. Sadly, we didn't get this woman's money back, but it started a relationship with the Fairfield Police Department that continues really to this day. I lived in Connecticut in Fairfield County, not far away from Fairfield for 20-some years. My two sons went to high school at Fairfield Prep. And as kids do, sometimes they cross paths with the Fairfield Police Department. Nothing serious, fortunately, but I was friendly with the chief and continued to be so for the years that came after that. And so in about 2015, I decided it was time to do another predator investigation. We hadn't done to catch a predator in you know, five or six years at that point. And, and I met with the police chief, Gary McNamara, and laid this out. And, and he was more than happy to do a parallel investigation. And perverted justice at this point was no longer in operation. But there were some former members of Perverted Justice who had gotten together with others and formed a group called Tetrid Core. And like Perverted Justice, they had standards and, and they would go online taking precautions, making sure that everything was on the up and up and ethical and constitutional and, and go into chat rooms and pose as 12, 13, 14 year old boys and girls. And if a man solicited them for sex, they would expose them. And so I teamed up with them and they became involved in the investigation. They started doing their undercover work in the Fairfield area in the days before this sting operation. And we found a house in Fairfield. The interesting part about the house, and there's some irony there, is a beautiful home not far from I-95, which is the north-south interstate on the east coast, was that it belonged to a fellow I knew who had moved in with his girlfriend and was looking to sell the house. It was on the market. And I approached him. I said, look, we'll rent it from you, as we do in all these investigations, and pay you, and we'll be in and out of there in a matter of days. And so we struck a deal. We set up. And it was a great location. I had a great kitchen on a main street in a beautiful upper middle class neighborhood. I mean, there were million dollar plus homes in this neighborhood. And we started working. Now, we needed on-site decoys. And this is another interesting background piece here because obviously you want a boy and a girl. You want somebody who is responsible, who is capable and can react, God forbid, you know, something unexpected happened. So through the police department, we were able to find a young woman who went to Fairfield University nearby. She was, I believe, 20 years old. We'll use the name Bailey because that's what she used mostly online or what the decoys used online, the online decoys. And she was great. She was 20. She was a theater student at Fairfield U, but looked significantly younger. The young man was great. He was in the cadet program at the Fairfield Police Department and, again, was uh, 18 years old but looked younger. So they were the on-site decoys. The real work happens online, though, with the Tetrid Core decoys. And so we began in October of 
2015, we set up inside this house, hidden cameras, mini control room. We had security there for ourselves. Ron Knight was there, the trusty security man from NBC days who came out of retirement to do this investigation. Always makes me feel so much better when Ronnie Knight is there, good friend and a good protector. And the great thing about this house, and there's another story about the house that I'll get to later that's ironic, but the great thing about this house was it had a three-car garage. So there was a separate room in the garage, and the entrance to the house was off the kitchen where we were operating. And once the predator was through with my interrogation, he could be let out or suggested that he leave through that garage door. And the police, the Fairfield police, which had a monitor to see everything going on inside the house, could watch. And then he could go in the garage and then they could come out from their staging area in the third car of the uh, garage. It was separated from the other two and make the arrest. And so they could very quickly process him on the scene, put him in the squad car, unmarked car that was uh, parked inside the garage and take him off for booking and questioning after the arrest. And I have to really give it to, well, all the law enforcement agencies with which we've worked uh, over the years, but Fairfield was right on the top of the list in terms of professionalism. You know, I've been interviewing predators for many, many years now, 17 years as we speak. I think I'm pretty good at it, but I learn something every time I watch a law enforcement interrogator, and especially in the case of Fairfield, and we'll talk about some of these other cases in future podcasts, but both male and female detectives who did the interrogations were very, very skilled. And I watched each one of these quietly alone, and I learned something from each one of them. The Fairfield Police Department, very professional. The chat between Jeff Sokol and a girl he thinks is 13 years old, Bailey, is quite graphic. And when you take a look at it, you can see the grooming that takes place. He talks about seeing her picture, telling her that she's a princess, that she's beautiful, that she looks older than her age. He also talks about how much trouble he could get into because she's not of the age of consent. He says he could go to jail for 20 years if caught and that she can't tell her mom about any of this. And in fact, that there's a suggestion that if he somehow was to be able to craft a quote unquote marriage contract that they could enter into, that it would prevent him from getting into trouble. He doesn't get into too much detail in the chat with Bailey about this, but you can see him working in that direction where he's saying, you know, this is cool. This is fine. If it works out, you know, and we have sex, nobody can find out about it. And then the conversation turns to her availability and the fact that her mother is going to be out of town on that Saturday night. And he suggests that this would be the perfect opportunity for him to come visit this Saturday afternoon. They were going to spend a lot of time together. So at some point, Sokol, who lives alone in the Boston area, has a plumbing issue in his apartment. Sokol lives alone. He's been divorced for 10 years and, as far as we know, didn't have any children at the time. He worked as an insurance employee in an entry-level position, apparently had dreams of getting into the sports marketing business, but that's never happened. 
She has some sort of a plumbing problem, as I mentioned, in his apartment, and that delays his two-and-a-half-hour drive from Boston right down I-95 to Fairfield, Connecticut, where a stinghouse is. And during all this time, he talks about how she's really cool, how he'd like to hang out, how he's never driven this far to meet somebody before. Sokol asks if Bailey is on WhatsApp and about some other potential ways that she can maybe send him a picture. She says she will send him a picture, but he has to promise not to laugh. He says he doesn't judge. Sokol then says, cute pic you sent. Don't you have color pics? Ha ha. You can tell in the chat that Sokol knows what he's doing is wrong. He says, I want to believe it's you in the pics, but obviously I can't because, well, you know, you could be anyone. So I was going to say, take a selfie holding up four fingers below your face. Then I would know it's really you. The chances of you already having a pic like this are slim. I want to believe it's you, but I can't based on past experience online. Then he says, can you borrow a friend's phone to take that selfie for me? Bailey says, you are more freaked out than you said I was. Sokol keeps the pressure on when it comes to grooming saying the reason I care so much to verify and see you is because I think you are special and I'd like you. If you were some other random chick with nothing to offer, I wouldn't be so concerned or eager to see you. You are extremely beautiful. Talk soon. This all comes after Bailey tells Sokol that she's got to help her mom with a project. So when you look at these transcripts and you break them down, it becomes very clear that there's no way Sokol is going to be able to convince me or anyone else for that matter that this was some sort of role-playing exercise. There's no way he couldn't have understood that this decoy, this girl, was any older than 13, 14 years old. Then, based upon the pictures he's seen, Sokol starts talking about Bailey's feature, saying she's slim, he finds her attractive, guesses her weight to be about 110. She says, LOL, 112. Then he talks about his physique, 5'9". He talks about his workout program, how he stays in shape, and the fact that, well, he's not big, but he knows how to please a woman. Why would you say that anyway, but to a 13-year-old girl? It just boggles my imagination. So this continues online. And finally, it's time for Jeff Sokol to show up at our stinghouse in Fairfield, Connecticut for his date with who he thinks is a 13-year-old girl named Bailey. Now, we're watching from inside the house. And we know that he's getting close, right? We've got cameras that we can see outside. We know he's getting closer and closer, and about hmm, 20, 30 minutes out, there's a phone call between Sokol and the decoy. And she says, why don't you pick up a pizza? And he says, okay, great. Where should I go? Now, I'm trying to remember, you know, based upon my knowledge of the area, you know, what would be a convenient pizza place? My son, Chase, my oldest son, was working as one of the camera operators on this shoot. That's what he does for a living. He's very good at it. And I said, Chase, where did you guys used to go to pizza when you were at Fairfield Prep? And he said to me, well, Planet Pizza, that's where everybody goes. Great. Tell Sokol to go to Planet Pizza. And he did. Now, the added value of this 
was that the Fairfield police could send an undercover car over to Planet Pizza. We knew it was, you know, 10 minutes away. So Sokol calls, orders the pizza, pepperoni pizza, a small, not a large. He didn't spring for the large. We'll get into that in a minute. And in he goes, buys the pizza, gets in the car. So now we know that he's got the hot pizza and he's going to be at the house in about 10 minutes. We're waiting. Car pulls up. He gets out. He looks honestly like a pizza delivery guy. He gets out of his car after a two and a half hour ride and he's walking around the house trying to find the door. Bailey comes out to the front door and says, Jeff, over here. You can come in this way. Comes over and she says, did you have a hard time finding the place? She goes, yeah, it's kind of dark. And this is where you come to grips with the fact that this guy and his sense of entitlement are just so overwhelming and just so just repugnant. He comes in and from the get-go, he's trying to normalize what he's trying to do, which is commit statutory rape with a 13-year-old girl. More about this predator I've caught in a moment. He comes in, sets the pizza down, goes in for this swoop of a hog. Now, I've seen this before with other predators, but it's just so creepy when a 44-year-old man walks in, sets down a pizza, takes off his coat, makes himself right at home, and then goes around and tries to hug this young girl. She backs away, and this young lady was very, very good. Composed, intelligent, came up with the right responses on her feet, and the conversation begins. Sokol, walking around the kitchen with his plaid shirt on, is trying to, again, normalize this situation. He acts like he's very comfortable. He goes over, washes his hands, he engages in conversation. The decoy Bailey is nervous and even apologizes. He says, that's okay. They'll just talk at first. They'll have pizza and they can eat right at the counter and see what happens next. Sokol says Bailey looks different in person than in the pictures he's seen. Well, that's because the pictures weren't actually of Bailey. They were of another young lady whose pictures we were able to use online. This just shows that in spite of any fears of getting caught, notwithstanding just the horrible nature of what he wants to do, raping a 13-year-old girl, he doesn't care. He moves through it. The conversation continues with Sokol saying, I was wondering if you're going to be nervous how this was going to play out. And she says, well, I've never done this before. Had somebody come over to meet like this. And the pizza is still on the, the kitchen island. And he then pauses and reaches into his pocket and pulls out a pill. Now, we're watching this from the next room. And of course, I'm assuming that it was some sort of ED pill, some sort of sexual enhancement pill to prepare him for his evening ahead. He said, both during the exchange with the decoy as well as to the police, that it was a medicine that he takes for IBS that he has to take before he eats. Well, Maybe, maybe not. But we did find, or I should say the investigators found a male enhancement drug 
pill in his car when they searched it later. So that's a pretty clear indication that he was ready to have a sexual liaison with this 13-year-old girl. The conversation continues, and then Sokol hears a noise from the next room, the room where I'm at with security and the techs and one of the online decoys who's having chats with very likely the next predator to show up in our investigation. And he says, what's that? What's that? I have no idea. And you can hear it when you replay the tape. And he says, is anybody else here? Somebody here? No. And so I sense that now it's time to make my appearance. Who we have tonight? Who's this? This is always a nuanced situation. You don't want to go out there too soon and interrupt a moment because it really is important, I think, for people to see how this plays out between the predator and the on-site decoy. You capture a lot of this person's character, their motives, where their head's at. And it's very telling because you're watching grooming. You're watching an attempted assault of a child play out in real life. And I think it's important for people to see because they understand it. I mean, it is creepy, don't get me wrong. And it's hard to watch, but it's important to see. And it creates awareness and it also shows his intent. Anyway, it's time for me to go. So I walk out there and he's just blown away. The decoy ducks into the room and he wants to know who I am. Uh, I, I wanna know who you are. I wanna know a little bit more about you first. And he very quickly starts telling me that he has done nothing wrong and I have nothing on him. Now, he doesn't know who I am. He initially thinks I'm the dad, and he says that. Are you the dad? Are you a dad? Are you you a dad? I will get to that in a minute. Jeff Sokol is about to realize that he's brought a rubber knife to a gunfight. This is not going to be a pleasant interview for him. Sokol continues to act like he's put out, that this whole thing is an imposition to him, and he's got an answer, or he tries to come up with an answer to every question that I have for him. And these moments that are about to play out have become somewhat iconic with people who follow the Predator investigations. In fact, just in the last week, I appeared on the Flagrant 2 podcast with comedian Andrew Schultz, and he knew all about the Jeff Sokol case and the pizza and how this plays out and how he continued to eat the pizza during my interview with him. Can I eat first? Sure, go ahead. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar while you enjoy your pizza. And it is memorable for a lot of different reasons. One, as I mentioned earlier, how he tries to normalize this. Two, how he continues to demand to know who I am. Like, you know, I'm just some guy in his way of a a big date night. But all the while, he continues to eat the pepperoni pizza. And I continue to ask him questions. And at one point he says to me, and this is a classic line, he says, Do I seem like a, like a, like a dishonest, dirty person? I mean, do I, do I seem like it to you? Well, guess what, Jeff? Not only do you seem like that, you are, based upon the transcripts, your behavior, and what you were willing to do with a girl who you thought was 13. He says it was just chat. And again, 
the birth of another classic Predator line. Chat is chat, but showing up is showing up. This continues, and I continue to delay telling him who I am because that's part of the interview process in these Predator investigations. And I try to stretch this out because the moment I say, I'm Chris Hansen, and we're doing an investigation into adults who try to meet children online for sex, that's the cue for the camera guys to come out and the sound engineer to come out. That's when the Predator realizes that he's on camera. Up until this point, remember that everything is recorded by hidden cameras and hidden microphones throughout the house. So even though it's all been on camera, it's all being recorded, the element of surprise, that shocking moment, really doesn't occur for the Predator until he sees the cameras and that boom mic. He knows something's up. So he goes from thinking I'm the mad dad to being in law enforcement, and I tell him who I am. I'm Chris Hansen, and this is an investigation called Hansen versus Predator. Not only does he eat the pizza during my interview with him, Sokol devours it. He holds the slice up in the air with cheese and pepperoni dripping from the slice and jams it in his mouth as if nothing serious is going on here. Like he's at a pizza party, like he's at Chuck E. Cheese's or something. Uh, go ahead, have a bite. Well, I haven't done anything wrong. He's in trouble. And he's trying to delay this trouble for as long as he can. So we finally come down to the cameras coming out, me announcing who I really am. And he asks me to turn the cameras off, which obviously I'm not going to do. I never do under any circumstances. Can you shut it off? I cannot shut it off. He asks again. I said, I just can't do that. Uh, he said he doesn't want to say anything more. I said, I understand. You're free to leave. During my interview, Sokol says, I just wanted to come hang out. But I confront him with specific sexual language. And he continues to be dodgy, but his words betray him. And at some point, I look at him and I just say, explain. Explain. And sometimes I found that by just allowing the uncomfortable silence to continue after saying that will reveal something very interesting from a person. And in fact, in this case, it did. He actually tells me that I should know by reading the chat that he was pretty apprehensive about the whole sex thing. I was pretty apprehensive about the whole sex thing. Well, yeah, he was apprehensive about the whole sex thing because he was worried about getting caught. I mean, here's a guy who talked about whether or not this girl he thought was 13 actually shaved her private parts and other very, very graphic things that he said. Finally, Sokol gets up to leave. I don't have anything else to say. All right, then. You can take your pizza if you like. You want a slice? I'm good. Thank you very much. And he's moving slowly. Security man Ron Knight hands him his jacket, and he walks into the garage. Come on now. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And not surprisingly, this is the part where he's arrested by the very professional Fairfield Police Department. They take him into custody, put the handcuffs on him. They find, as I mentioned before, this ED pill in his car. And he's taken down to the 
police headquarters for an interrogation. Now, you'd think at this point a guy might give it up, realize that he's been caught. Just tell the cops what was going on. Get a lawyer or say nothing and get a lawyer. But he keeps trying to push this narrative that this is not his fault. He wasn't going to do anything wrong and that he's being put out that this is some big imposition for him after driving two and a half hours from Boston to meet his dream date in Fairfield, Connecticut. He's speculating that I was going to have sex with her tonight. Because that's what you said. I didn't say that. You didn't say that? Well, well no. tell me what you said. Well, we talked about having sex, but that doesn't mean... Isn't that, but isn't that strange? That doesn't mean I was going to tonight. And the, the detective interviewing him is rightfully incredulous by this. So ultimately, he's booked... He comes up with the ability to post bail, and he goes back to his home near Boston. Well, the court's proceedings are obviously just beginning, and Sokol was apparently just as difficult with his potential defense attorneys as he was with me and with the police detectives from Fairfield. He went through three different lawyers in the process, One of whom in court actually suggested that, and I'm not reading the exact quote here, I'm paraphrasing, but suggested that, you know, a hundred years ago in this country, the legal age of consent was much younger, 12, 13. And the judge looked at him during one of these proceedings and just said, you know, with the look like, are you out of your mind? Anyway, months into the process, Sokol pleads guilty to three felonies all having to do with solicitation of a minor with intent to commit statutory rape, essentially. He's sentenced to seven years in prison, and he's got to serve at least 30 months, which he did. And within the last year or so, was let out. He had to register as a sex offender for 10 years in the state of Connecticut. There have been a lot of questions over the years about this quote-unquote marriage contract that Jeff Sokol put together. I asked him about it during the course of the interview. He said he didn't have one with him. He said there was nothing in his car. And I recalled in preparation for this particular podcast that I had not actually seen a marriage contract. There was talk of it in the chat. During my interview with him, he suggested that, well, yeah, if it worked out, maybe we would have gotten married down the road. So obviously this was something that was on his mind. I reached out to Gary McNamara, who was chief of police in Fairfield at the time. He's moved on to be director of public safety at Sacred Heart College. And I asked him, I said, now, was there actually a marriage contract? And he asked one of his staff and said, in fact, there was. It was found in the car. And And it was taken in as evidence and he had pieced it together from information he was able to glean from the Internet, again, in a extreme effort, unsuccessful as it may have been, to protect himself, to insulate himself from criminal charges that he did, in fact, face. What is he doing now? Well, we know that he had worked in the insurance industry in an entry level position processor of claims of some sort. And he also worked as a Lyft driver. That's kind of frightening if he's still doing that, but we don't know. He's sort of fallen off the face of the earth as far as we can tell. 
I have gotten reports from various people that he has surfaced on the Jersey Shore and it's a bit of a Where's Waldo routine, but haven't been able to actually pinpoint his location. We don't think that he's surfaced on any other law enforcement agency's radar. I suspect that if he has gotten into trouble again, we'll hear about it after people start listening to this very podcast. Jeff Sokol, forever to be known in predator history as the pizza guy. Chat is chat. Do I look dishonest or dirty? Epic lines from our investigation. Investigations that will continue around the country. And a podcast that will continue as well as we examine predators I've caught. I'm Chris Hansen.